Welcome to Uncharted Careers. I'm Courtney Hartman, and I talk with guests each week about their career paths to give listeners an insider look into different industries, how folks have made decisions in their careers, and we'll explore what each guest has learned along the way. I'm on a mission to share knowledge that is only learned in the field outside of a classroom. Join me to find inspiration for your own career. This week's guest on Uncharted Careers is my very good friend and prior colleague and boss, Lauren Wallerson. She and I worked together at a software company called Serve that served as the direct ticketing provider for tours and activities across the country, and then another company called Vendini that did ticketing for live events. She and I worked closely with Bob Schweitzer, who was on a previous episode of the podcast, and together we were leading a customer success team that was responsible for customer retention and expansion at Serve, and that's where we both got the start of our careers. Lauren is one of my favorite people in the world, and she and I have remained very close over the past 10 years and will often discuss company initiatives, client issues, and we help each other to strategize work challenges. I've learned so much from her throughout the years, and I'm excited for everyone listening to be able to learn from her too. Please enjoy. It's Monday, and we just came out of a great weekend hanging out with my partner's family. And I'm from the East Coast. I currently live in San Francisco. And my family is all the way across the country. So I am especially feeling grateful to have such a strong family here on the West Coast to celebrate milestones like Father's Day with. Yeah, that is so nice. I feel like it's so hard when you move across the country to build your own community and your own family. And you've done such a good job of it. Thanks. You know, I haven't really thought of it as being too hard until recently, honestly. Like when I was younger, I was so much more willing to jump on a plane and go back east. But yeah, lately it's felt less like that. Yeah, it's so important to find your tribe wherever you are, I think. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Lauren, tell me more about what you do today. Yeah. So I uh, work at a company called Clever. We are an education technology company, and I manage a customer success organization there. What does that entail? Who? What groups are part of customer success? Yeah, so my team is mainly made up of customer success managers. We have a couple other folks on the team who focus like on international efforts um, and some one-off roles, but primarily we're really focused on um, working directly with district leaders and technology leaders in the K-12 through space here in the U.S., Okay, awesome. And what does your day-to-day typically look like? So when you open up your laptop, walk me through what a typical day looks like from there. Yeah, for sure. So I am honestly in so many meetings. Usually (laughs) I am waking up and heading uh, pretty much straight to a meeting where I'm collaborating either with my direct reports, uh, managers that will report to me, Um, or with some of my cross-functional partners. Um, And so because I'm on the West Coast, I think I'm usually jumping right into meetings. But uh, then in the afternoon is usually more of my think time, think space. And what sort of things are you strategizing or thinking about during your time in the afternoon? 
Yeah, so much of what we do, um, you know, I'm I'm really fortunate. I came to the company in 2019, right before COVID, and we provide digital learning tools to teachers and students. And so, um, you know, our, our company and our business was really fortunate in that um, we were able to provide a great service and great offering during such a tough time, which has really also pushed us to to need to be innovative, you know, in some ways, you know, maybe even quicker than than we had anticipated. So um, a lot of what I'm working on and collaborating on are just ways that we can support our district leaders better, students and teachers in the classroom. And then um, I would say probably the other, at least half of my job is just how to really support our teams and our team members, help them grow professionally and really just finding, you know, ways to leverage them um, in a way that kind of aligns with their professional career growth. And for those folks that are listening that aren't in technology, haven't worked at software companies, can you just talk more about what the job role is of a C- of a client success manager, or customer success manager, and what that what the goals are of that position? Yeah, for sure. So um, at our company, customer success managers are working with customers after they've kind of gone through either a sales process or they've decided to use our product. And we really help help them grow with the product. So we are making sure that they're getting the full value out of uh, the product or the services that, that they've decided to utilize. Um, and that honestly, at the end of the day, they're they're really happy with the service, that they want to stay with us, grow with us. Um, and we're really nurturing those relationships and building kind of a, a long-term partnership with those customers. And what sort of metrics are you looking at for your client success managers? What are they what is their performance measured on? Yeah, great question. So it's really interesting at Clever, uh, the side of the organization that I'm at, we're actually free to schools and school districts. So the products, uh, you know, we we don't have a contract or um, something that's coming up for renewal. I think that's often really common in a customer success organization. Your main metric is renewals and upsells and very revenue focused. Um, Whereas for us, it's really focused on growing adoption of the product and retaining these customers and these users over time. We work with over 75% of schools in the U.S. So we're really fortunate, yeah, to be the leading provider for helping digital learning work in the classroom. And so for us, it's so important that those schools continue to stay with Clever and grow with Clever. And as we have um, additional product offerings that, you know, we're really meeting their needs and they're interested in adopting, adopting those products. Yeah, that's really incredible. 75% of schools are utilizing the company that you work for. That I think is not something that most companies ever achieve. I'm curious, are you in the strategy meetings at the leadership levels where you determine, okay, how do we get that other 25% or what are our goals for the upcoming year? Yeah, for sure. So we are really fortunate. I'm really fortunate to be at a company that has a great annual planning process and just work with a lot of people who are so um, anchored on the mission and 
care so much about you know doing what's right for students and teachers. And so um, we get together every Q4 end of the year and are kind of putting the plan in place for the upcoming year, but also having a long-term view too. So thinking about you know our product roadmap for the upcoming year, any new service offerings, how we're going to resource those initiatives, but um, also having an even bigger picture, longer term view into the future so that whatever we're planning you know for the upcoming year really aligns with what we want to accomplish overall. And you mentioned the mission. What is the mission of Clever and what part of it do you feel so connected to and motivated by? Yeah. So Clever's mission is connect every student to a world of learning. And I really resonate with that mission because, you know, I've been in technology for a while, for my whole career up until this point. And something that I've realized is that the technology industry is incredible from an innovation standpoint. And I think that's one of the reasons I love it. However, it also is a world that when you look at a lot of companies, they are primarily serving such a small and privileged group of people. And that's okay. Like I have worked for many for some of those companies. I'll probably work for companies like that again in the future. But I love that the company I'm currently working at is focused um, on equity in such an authentic way and reaching a group of people that is so wide ranging, so diverse, um, and that our product, you know, is not uh, is not kind of pigeonholed to just a certain kind of group of people or group of users, but, you know, is, is actually affecting today in the real world, like millions of students, teachers, parents. Um, so I think the word just every student uh, really resonates with me from that mission. Yeah, I love that. And I also really love that Clever, uh, well, practices what they preach. And I think that it's rare where you see a really diverse leadership group or, you know, culture at a technology company specifically. And with Clever, from what I know, that's really not the case. Can you talk more about how core and integral diversity is to Clever and its mission? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I completely agree. And, you know, I think if one of our executives was was here, they would be the first to say, we still have a lot of room to grow. Um, but I am so inspired by the work that we have done, especially over the past few years. Our CEO, her name is Trish Sparks. She started in the classroom. Uh, she's a lesbian woman. And you know, you just don't really see that in the technology industry, or, or I, I definitely haven't. And then, you know, we also just have other representation across across our entire leadership group um, that just doesn't. It's uh, not your standard kind of what you see, you know, on a on a standard board or, or e team. So yeah, that has been that's been one of the more rewarding parts of of working at Clever for sure. So take me back how you got to Clever. What was your path towards this leadership position and client success at an education technology company? Yeah, for sure. I'm laughing a little bit because um, I definitely did not have 
a 10 step plan or anything to get to where I'm at. Um, you know, Courtney, uh, you and I, of course, worked together at our first company's Zerve. And that was really my intro to technology. I had no idea what the technology industry really was. I was just looking to stay in New York for the summer and found this quirky internship and got uh, my feet wet um, in technology from there. But not to interrupt I, you, but what, how did you find Zerve? Um, I think it was on Craigslist and it was this very bizarre posting that I'm sure you saw too, um, where you couldn't really tell what the company did. You knew it had something to do in the tourism hospitality industry. And so I was just really intrigued and thought, Hey, I'll try it out. Um, was that what you saw too when you applied? Oh, yeah. It was definitely a Craigslist ad. I don't even know if there was a website. I don't know why I felt like this was a legitimate job, but it was. And I met you in my second interview and things really took off from there. I know. And then the first interview, I'm sure yours was the same, was at not even at the office. It's at this chocolate shop nearby. Yeah, Dr. Rez. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure my Mm -hmm. mom would not have approved of me responding to that Craigslist ad and meeting someone at the co- at the chocolate shop, but <laughs> I'm glad I did. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, from there, I started as an intern. I think one of the most pivotal parts of my career actually was early on um, working with such strong leaders, um, a couple of which you've had already on the podcast, Joe and Bob. And, you know, when I look back, I think how they just trusted me as a 20, 21 year old to, you know, work with some of our um, most valuable customers and make decisions that would impact lots of people. And um, so I think I just really fell in love with problem solving and people leadership from that experience. And so um, that really just set me off on a on a path in customer success and and people leadership. I think I really was drawn to customer success too, because oftentimes the problems that you're solving are really complex, pretty gnarly, and they can have um, just a pretty big impact on the overall business. You're usually working with revenue, even in my current role, you know, while the customers we work with aren't paying. It's a network and there is revenue implications with a lot of the work that we're doing. Um, so, you know, my first couple of jobs were in customer success leadership. And then after my last company and it was time to kind of find a new, a new path or a new career, I was really looking for a company that, like I said, just had a farther reaching impact and was working, you know, with a more um, diverse group of people. So education and healthcare were kind of the two places I was looking. And um, I'm really glad I went with education considering COVID-19 hit like four months after I started at Clever, uh, which obviously we were very busy through that period too, but um, happy, happy I ended where landed where I did. What do you enjoy about customer success in a technology company? Yeah, you know, I think um, like I was just starting to talk about, I really enjoy solving problems. And at really good technology companies, 
your product or services are meeting a need for real people in the real world. And oftentimes you're helping them do what they are passionate about and not something else that they probably don't really want to do. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. for us, you know, we're we're really helping district administrators, district technology leaders um, get the tools to teachers and students in the classroom in a really fast and easy way where, you know, when they wake up in the morning, that's probably not like the number one thing that they want to do. Like they want to be like more focused in the classroom and focused on supporting teachers and students. And so we can kind of do some of that, um, you know, less glamorous work for them and kind of help them look good. And I think in a lot of really great technology companies, that's really what you're doing is you're, you're helping people um, focus on the things that they really love to do uh, by taking work off of their plate. Um, so yeah, I think that that's that's kind of why I love it so much. Um, and that we just get to work with so many people also. You know, your your days are usually full of um, working internally with different teams and departments and then also, you know, meeting lots of different people out there in the world that your product or services are, are touching. Yeah, that's what I've always enjoyed about working in client-facing roles in technology also. The basis of what you're talking about is a product, but what you're doing is changing the lives of the people that you get to support, and everyone has their own unique challenges. And I'm curious, along the way, is there a certain challenge or success story that really sticks out for you where you look back and you're like, wow, I'm super proud of how I handled that client situation or how my team handled that situation? I know there are plenty. Yeah. You know, I'm actually going to pull a recent one that might not even seem like a success story on the surface, but I'm so proud of it. Uh, we were recently working with a customer who um, was considering leaving Clever and not utilizing our products and services anymore. And, you know, we've actually been really fortunate being the leader in the space to not have to uh, build up a strong muscle around customer churn. Um, for those that might not be as familiar with customer success, you know, we talk about churn in terms of, you know, when customers decide to leave your organization and stop using your products and services. Um, I think a lot of times there's really healthy churn, you know, where your organizations have just grown in different directions. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we want to we want to keep as many customers as possible. And so we had a cross-functional group, you know, we 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 didn't have a playbook really for going and, and saving customers. And we really had to solve a lot of problems quickly and just figure out, you know, what's what's going to be the right strategy for this customer uh, to keep them on our product and, and on our services. And um, I won't go into all of the details, but at the end of the day, we didn't end up saving the customer, but we learned so much about our product market fit. We learned about where we really need to invest in an organization to be better set up to um, react to these situations in the future. And it was such a good example, too, of people just really putting on their business leader hat and not focusing as much on this is my role, this is what I do, but putting the customer first, thinking about, you know, if this was my business, what would I be doing to, you know, 
set ourselves up for success and set this customer up for success. And it was just such a highly collaborative effort that produced a ton of learnings in such a short period of time. And so even though we didn't win win the customer, I think that is honestly what customer success does at its best in my mind is it listens to customers, it gives that feedback back to the organization in a way that we can act on um, and make our company better, make our customers happier. And so, um, yeah, kind of a funny story in that, you know, I, I, I hate losing and it didn't feel good to, to lose, but it was just such a good example of great customer success work. Yeah, I really like that story, especially because it does remind me of our days at Serve and a couple other companies that I've worked at. It's, I think, easy to celebrate those wins when there aren't other competitors in the space. But when you are a really successful technology company, there are going to be other competitors that enter the space and build functionality to what you lack. And so you need to make sure that you're listening to your customers and their overall goals and challenges as opposed to just you know, building product that you want to put out in the world. Um, And we really pivoted at Zerve um, our whole approach towards client retention because prior to competitors kind of coming into the space and building that functionality that we didn't have, we just had naturally really high retention rates. And then they started to drop and we... And that was when you and I were put into leadership roles where we were just focused on protecting our base and your role. Well, can you talk a little bit more about your role at Serve? Because I really loved the proactive approach that you led along with Bob Schweitzer, who's also been on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, you know, we, there were some competitors popping up in the space. We were first to market. It was the first time that, you know, we were kind of experiencing competitive pressure at that level. And we decided to do a road tour, you know, and meet with almost 50% of our customer revenue over the course of the year and really meet with the customers where they're at, listen to them on their own home turf and solve their concerns and the problems that they were facing on the ground, you know, with them, um, which I have started to take into other parts of my career since then. I think it can be such an effective strategy. You know, one thing I, I have learned too is that it's such a balance. I think as a customer success professional, you are so trained to listen to the customer and meet the customer's need that it can sometimes be difficult to balance that with your business strategy and kind of where you're headed as a company. And when you find that right balance, I think that's where you really have such a strong brand. You know who you are as a company and you're okay with a healthy amount of churn if you're continuing, you know, to kind of grow in the direction of of your mission and, and the customers you're trying to serve. And so I think that's just one of the things I learned learned it at Zerve too that I've carried into my career is that you have to do both. You have to listen to your customers. You have to provide that feedback back to the company. And you also can't just be reactive to your competitors or to every single question or concern that your customer has. You you also have to, you know, kind of know who you are as a business and grow in a thoughtful 
direction while listening to your customers and, you know, bringing them along with you. And because I know you've worked with so many different types of clients and experienced so many different challenges, do you have any stories from any kooky clients that you can share? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, I'll be careful what I say here. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the themes I think I've taken into my career is just trying to provide like a really inclusive and equitable space for mm-hmm. folks. And so I think that this story actually early on in my career is a, is a part of that theme. Um, you know, I mentioned I was really young when I started talking to these customers who were paying us a lot of money. And I remember Bob and I, we were at this um, one company and it's really funny, you know, I looked like a 21 year old girl and Bob looked like a 50-year-old businessman. <laughs> and so we'd walk into these meetings and he um you know, he would always look like the more business professional. And I think people would always really expect him to be the one leading the meeting, but that really wasn't the case. You know, I was the one that understood the product really well. I was the one, you know, kind of getting into these uh, debates with customers where we'd need to do some objection handling. And I remember we were trying to save this customer. This one is going to have a happy ending. And (laughs) we walk in and, you know, the business owner, he looks a little bit more like Bob and he shakes Bob's hand, gives Bob a business card and he doesn't give me a business card or really uh, pay much attention to me. And then we sit down and we start to have this discussion and I'm laying out for him, you know, why it really makes business sense for him to stay with serve and uh, highlighting the value of our partnership. And mm-hmm. at the end of the meeting, they decide that they're going to stay, stay with us. And he shook my hand and he gave me his business card and he apologized, you know, at the end for not doing that at the beginning. And, you know, I don't know if I would call that so much kooky, but I think that that did just, uh, it really stuck with me because, you know, I just so respect and appreciate the space that honestly Bob gave me to um, operate in conversations like that. And he really made me feel safe and included in the work that we were doing Mm -hmm. in a way that even when I was facing, you know, a a really tough customer and one that, you know, could have really shook shaken me and, and, and my identity, you know, I really didn't feel that way because of the space that, that Bob had created for me. Um, so yeah, I think you know that that's kind of a funny customer. Unfortunately, probably a, something that a lot of a lot of customer success managers face. Uh, you know, especially women and and people of color. But um, it just really highlighted for me that the power you can have as a leader to create safe, psychologically safe spaces. You know, for for the people that that work with you. Yeah, I think that's amazing that Bob was able to create that space for you. I also think it's an important point that 
if you assume that you are going to be respected in the meeting, you ultimately will earn it over time. And I think it can be really intimidating to go into a room with someone that may seem, you know, more buttoned up than you, uh, more senior than you. And if you assume that they don't respect you and even do something like not shake your hand and give you a business card when they did that to your colleague, it's easy to, I think, not do your best work and not feel comfortable and confident in the expertise that you bring. But if you do just go in assuming respect and assuming that you will earn that respect, I think you do over time. I 100% agree. You know, I think one of the learnings I've had too in my career is that give it a couple tries. And if you're not getting that respect, that you are really looking for, or you're not able to be your authentic self at work, and you don't see a path to making that happen because of the leadership at the company, you know, I'd recommend just leaving. (laughs) And I know that's an easy thing to say, you know, it's not always possible in the moment, but really finding that path to getting out of that situation and finding a place where you can actually um, live out your values. You know, at the end of the day, we spend so much time at work with the people that you know you work with. You're spending so much time with them that um, I think you're right. I think you know coming in confidently is 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 very valuable. But if that doesn't work, then you know for me in my in my career, it's I wish I had learned that earlier. That you know I I can just I could just leave. <laughs> you yeah. know I, I could find different people that I actually love to work with and that do respect me. Um, and, you know, as a white woman, a woman, I know that that's, that, that is just a privileged thing to say in itself. It's a lot easier for me to do that, um, than, than some other folks, but, um, that's definitely been a learning I've taken in my career. Yeah. Can you talk more about psychological safety and how somebody can evaluate if they have it at their company or for a leader? How do you build psychological safety for your team and within an organization? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a principle that has really revolutionized my leadership style. Um, as I've gotten kind of language around it, I've I've started to to just focus on it a lot more over the last several years. And basically, psychological safety is just creating a space where people can bring their authentic selves to work and do not have a fear of retribution if they have a dissenting idea or are bringing feedback, you know, on something that might not be positive. And um, for for me, you know, that definitely starts with um, hiring folks that are really different than me and mm-hmm. being uh, building teams where everybody does not look or sound the same. I actually think earlier in my career, um, I did the opposite of that. Like I would look around and everybody looked and sounded exactly like me. And it was a really comfortable space to be in. But I think that we did not have the amount of impact that we could have had, had, you know, there been more dissenting voices in the room and people who just thought differently. And so I think it's really started there for me of just how can I build teams that are diverse? And then how can I live true to that in creating a space for people that don't think and look like me 
to feel comfortable disagreeing with me, even with the positional power that exists within any organization. And so one thing I've done is just acknowledging positional power and making sure that we're all just really aware of it, starting with me, you know, that my voice or something that comes from me, I might say it as an offhand comment, but because I'm in a position of leadership, it's going to sound different, you know, to to somebody who maybe just started and, you know, we don't have a lot of trust yet. One other thing that we do that's actually a really simple operational thing is I have like a three slide deck that just talks a little bit about psychological safety that I uh, do one on one with anybody that comes into our team. And we actually build operating manuals, which is just a one pager. It's so funny. I was listening to Chris Young's podcast with mm-hmm. you and he mentioned something about like user manuals or, or something like that. Yeah. It's uh, almost exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. We just call them operating manuals where you list out, you know, what are the things I value? What are the things that annoy me? Um, what do people often misunderstand about me? And we find that by doing that and sharing them across the team, we just build a lot of that trust and working relationship that typically takes years to learn about somebody in a very short period of time so that people are more um, open and and up for kind of debating and sharing dissenting ideas when when they have them. Yeah, I love that. Is there a resource online that you use to help build these operating manuals for people? Or was it an idea that you had and you kind of worked together on what that looks like and how it's shared? I'm wondering for people that are interested in doing this for their teams, what is like a next step that they could take? Yeah. So there was a Harvard Business Review article about this years ago. And I think that's where it started for me, somebody who um, knew about it, I think presented that article. We read it. We discussed it. And then um, I actually think they may have created the operating manual template. And it was just like a five-question thing, like what do I value? What do I not value? What do people misunderstand about me? I think those were really the three core core questions. Um, but yeah, really simple. Honestly, I think um, it, the Harvard Business Review is a great place to start, but I actually think it's become so much more popular over the last couple of years that um, there probably are additional online resources today. Yeah, I am very interested in looking into those more. Can you talk to me more about what you look for. You talked about just creating diverse teams, but what do you look for when you are hiring for a client success manager or what have you found um, is kind of a recipe for success as you're evaluating an individual to understand if one, they're going to be really excited and enthusiastic about this position and bring a lot of energy to the role. And two, from the company perspective, that they're going to hit on the metrics that you're accountable for too clever? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think one path that can be really common for folks, I know this was the case for me, is um, folks who start in a customer support role and then are interested in, you know, working with customers in a more direct way, building long-term relationships. And I think that that's a great path. 
Um, but there are some differences that I always kind of highlight for folks who are coming into a customer success manager role or are interested in it. And one is just being really fearless when it comes to objection handling. Um, I think that's one of the things I, I definitely look for is just not being afraid of an upset customer, but actually seeing that upset customer as an opportunity to turn them around and to turn them into a champion over time. Um, so being really fearless in that way is, is definitely one of them. Um, I also think just being passionate about problem solving, you know, so much of what we do, like, yes, we have playbooks. Yes, we have our standard motions that we do on some seasonal basis, but every customer is different. And the reason that they're coming to your organization can really vary based on their size and other factors. And so being able to really dig in with that customer, understand them and kind of knit together how your product or services can really meet their individual specific needs is, um, I think that the the skill there is like a, a problem solver. Um, but I found that to be like one of the more, um, definitely part of the recipe for success for, for a CSM. And then I guess the last one would just be flexibility, you know, especially in a technology company, there is so much innovation, so much change. And I actually think we talk about change management as this negative thing. And at some level, it's true. Like most people don't get super excited about change, but I actually think, again, you know, there's a lot of opportunity and possibility with, with change. And as a CSM, when you're working with the customer, you're having to translate changes within your business or organization or products to them on a very regular basis. And so being excited to, to do that, being flexible and, um, you know, kind of being a, a change leader, even if you're not a people leader, you know, you're kind of leading that change typically with with your customers. Mm -hmm. And over time, because I've worked with you previously for seven years, I was able to witness how you would tackle client objections in a really fearless way and how you did really love problem sol solving and taking on challenging clients and bringing them to a better place or managing them out. And you've also been, you know, the leader of change within organizations do you think all of that contributed to you successfully moving up into leadership positions? Are there other things that you think contributed toward your movement from an individual contributor to a manager, director, leader? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of one of my principles is that anybody can be a leader. You know, there's um Positional leadership, for sure, and management and, um, you know, executive leadership. But I actually instill this in my people or try to instill this in my people at every level that, um, you know, when when it comes to leadership, it's really about communication, transparency, change management, bringing people along, you know, that is something that I really loved when I was managing customers directly. Yeah. And I actually think I find more 
fulfillment from doing that within an organization and and with the people that either report to me or report up into our organization and, and being able to do that at scale. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely, I think I think that was super transferable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just the when you're solving internal problems or, you know, you're, you're making decisions as an organization that are going to impact your people. Mm -hmm. That's something that um, I have just gotten a ton of joy from. Um, And so I definitely think that started with me doing that with customers and then, you know, being able to do that with, with the people that I work with and deeply care about, I think brought, you know, even, even more joy and fulfillment for me. Yeah. And when you think about your future and what else you're looking to set out to accomplish, do you set specific milestones or goals? Or do you have anything that you want to do in the future that you haven't done yet? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't really set milestones or goals. Um, You know, I think there have been a couple times in my life, like going to college or you know, if I ever have a career change in the future where that's an important thing to do for sure. But no, you know, for me, I really am comfortable with the unknown. I think Mm -hmm. for me, the unknown is where I see a lot of possibility. And so for me, what's kind of guided my career is finding places where there is a lot of possibility uh, for greater impact and for change. And so, you know, at at Clever today, I'm definitely finding that to be the case. There's so much more to do. And um, I I can see so much, you know, so much more there for me to learn as a people leader. I don't know what's next for me. You know, I, I, in some ways, I think executive leadership will likely be somewhere down the line for me. But I don't have like a timeline or, you know, really kind of short-term goals for for getting there. So what would that executive leadership role be that you would be working towards? Yeah, I think it would probably be um, an executive of a customer success organization. So Mm -hmm. VP of customer success, you know, probably the first one. I have entertained um, thinking about, a path in people leadership, like people mm-hmm. operations, HR. That's kind of come up a couple times in my career and I've pushed past it. Um, I, like I mentioned, just have such a passion for building teams and spaces where teams can thrive. And so um, I think you can do that, you know, in, in different parts of an organization. But I would likely either do it in the customer success org or a people ops org. And yeah, again, you know, I, I, I'm not, I I don't have the itch to do that in the immediate term, (laughs) but we'll see, you know, that, that could definitely change. That's fair. You also have a very busy and flourishing personal life that you're having to balance throughout all of this as well. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that. Like, I definitely agree. And I think that has been one of my learnings over the years that the more I invest in my personal life and having a really rich, fulfilling personal life, it actually pays dividends in my professional life. And so I have found that to be the case, that if I have a breakthrough 
in my personal life, it usually provides more clarity and kind of what I want to do in the future professionally. I love that. Well, one last question. What sort of advice do you have for somebody that may be interested in a client success role in a software company? Yeah, I would say, you know, the thing I mentioned earlier about being fearless, that's something that you can apply in any role. And I would say to start there and to really start listening to, you know, finding ways that you can listen to customer needs wherever you are in the organization um, and kind of making those connections from customer need to your product, to how your company or team is built to meet those needs. Um, and then, of course, finding someone, hopefully within your organization, that does that role and learning from them directly. Me and my career, you know, I think I have always, when I've taken the next step in my career, it's been by building super strong relationships within that company, within that organization, and kind of setting myself up to be next on the list, you know, when that that role that I'm looking for opens up. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And even just making it known that you are working towards that role once you have a good understanding of what the day-to-day looks like, you feel really confident that you'll like the position, just making it known to the leaders that you are interested in moving in that direction I think will open up opportunities. I think people do get worried that it's going to make them seem like they're not engaged in their current position. But I always find the opposite where I feel like you are really engaged in the company and our mission and our goal if you are looking at other places that you can grow and develop in the company because chances are you're not going to stay in the same role forever and be happy doing that. So I want to see that you are looking outside of your current role to see where you can develop into. 100%. Yeah. You know, I think any good people leader is going to be having career conversations with their uh, direct reports and caring about, you know, what that next step is. But I also think, you know, I think Chris Young mentioned this as managing up. I thought that was a really great way to put it. I find that, you know, as a leader, I'm able to you know, help my direct reports move into that next step for them much more easily if they're communicating with me about, you know, what that next step is for them. So absolutely. Like if you're working with someone who's not excited about your career growth and they look at that conversation as a threat to their team um, or a threat to their department, you know, that that's probably a, a pretty big red flag. And, you know, that, I don't know, that probably wouldn't be a company that I'd want to grow at. So I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Laura. And this was such a good conversation. And it's always really great to catch up. Yeah. Thank you so much. Always so great to talk to you. Go to unchartedcareers.com if you're interested in one-on-one career coaching or are looking to learn more about uncharted careers and my coaching approach. Thanks for listening.